You're listening to another episode of Diferente with your host, Maribel Quesada-Smith. That's me! We're coming down to the last few episodes of my special series on entrepreneurship where I've had the pleasure of chatting with some of the most interesting, courageous, and inspiring business folks around. And what I love about this series is that we have had people who come from different backgrounds and are at different stages of their business journey, which I think is so important in order to understand the full spectrum spectrum of what it takes to not only be an entrepreneur, but also a leader. So far, I've found that most of the podcasts out there focus on those who are near or at the top of their business acumen. But what about all of the other business owners and side hustlers out there? Their stories are no less impactful and the lessons we can learn from their experiences are certainly valuable. There's always something we can learn from other people's struggles, mistakes, and triumphs, no matter how big their bank account or their following. That is the message I look to communicate through not only this entrepreneurship series, but from this podcast as a whole. And I hope that that's what keeps you coming back week after week. Look, I know there are hundreds of other ways you could spend this time, but the fact that you choose to hang out with me and my guests, <laughs> that is freaking special. And I am honored to be a part of your day. So without further delay, let me introduce you to my guest. Her name is Salone Monet, and she is the founder of a fabulous new woman's shoe collection of inclusive nude heels designed to complement diverse skin tones. Salone and I discussed how it takes patience to launch a great brand because nothing happens overnight, especially in business, and what she has done to overcome the entrepreneurial growing pains. Bienvenidos. Welcome to Diferente. My name is Maribel Quesada-Smith. I'm an expert at questioning everything who wants to bring more color into your life. I'll be coming at you every week with a little humor and a mountain of passion to share with you stories and ideas related to life, culture, creativity, and business that will inspire all of us to explore different perspectives. Don't be surprised if you find yourself motivated to shake things up. That's known to be a side effect of the Diferente life, and it's contagious. Now let's get to it. Welcome to Diferente. Thank you so much for making time to sit with me and chat today. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me. It's a Saturday morning in the winter and you're in New York City, correct? I am. It's a little, we're getting a little bit of a break from the cold though, so it's not bad today. Okay. What's it looking like over there? Uh, I was out earlier with my son and it was like in the four, like 40s. Uh, I think it's supposed to drop tonight, but I feel like 40s is like you really can't complain because it can be so much worse <laughs> in February. <laughs> you, you would be so annoyed with me because lately I've been complaining about it being in the 40s in Phoenix. Oh, no. <laughs> Like anything about freezing, I'm like, okay, we can do that. It's easy. Yeah, like I can work with that. Right. Um, so I want to start this conversation by learning a little bit about you. And I know that we want to definitely talk about your brand, but as every brand, the person behind the brand, you know, the visionary is really the life force of the business. So I really think it's so important to get to know you. And if you allow me, I you know, just want to kind of understand your background a little bit. Are you ready for that? Let's do it. Okay, so let's start with the very beginning. Where did you grow up or where were you raised? <laughs> I wish that was an easy question, but it's <laughs> not for me. Um, I affectionately like to say that I'm hometownless because I kind of moved around a little bit when I was um, younger. So my dad is from Jersey and I started school 
actually in Northern Jersey. Then we moved to Michigan. And then um, I spent some time like in the Ann Arbor area. And then I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we moved back to Wisconsin um, in high school when I was in high school. I consider myself like a Midwesterner for the most part. But a lot of times people when I talk to them, they're like, where are you from? Like, what's your accent there? It's like, I'm kind of unidentifiable from like, I guess, a regional standpoint. (laughs) Accent. I was like, I don't hear an accent. Yeah, but I guess that kind of confuses people too. <laughs> so it's like having an accent confuses people, not having an accent right, confuses people. One. Like they just right. want to put you in a box. Please absolutely. tell me, where can I categorize you? <laughs> That's absolutely where it stems from. <laughs> oh, high school. Did you graduate in Milwaukee or? Yeah, it was it was outside of Milwaukee and uh, like a suburb of Milwaukee. Okay. And was that a pretty diverse area or? <laughs> 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 Did you hear? I try to make it like a really honest question, even though I kind of know the answer to that. <laughs> right. So a lot of people don't know of Milwaukee, but I like to like to give people a sense for what the city is. I say it's like a tiny, a tiny Chicago. So it has, you know, a lot of the great things about Chicago. We have like a great summer, um, like music festival, lots of things to do. There's a large black community, um, just like a lot of other Midwest cities. Uh, and that recently, you know, the economy has not been doing good. You know, there's been a lot of issues. So um, it's definitely has like all of its, um, the same sort of demons that a lot of other, um, you know, black Midwestern cities have faced. So when we moved back, we did not move back to Milwaukee. We moved to the suburb and the suburb is, you know, I don't, couldn't give a percentage, but I was for sure, you know, a handful, like not hands, a handful of black kids in my school. It was not diverse. (laughs) (laughs) So one of the few, I guess, um, (laughs) African-Americans in the school. Was that okay for you? Was that an issue? How, like, how did you see yourself back then fitting in? Um, I, you know, it was shocking for me because I had, up until that point, I went to a school that was very diverse for like a suburban institution. So it was like a college town. We had kids of all, you know, of many, many different religious backgrounds and ethnicities and cultures that I went to school with. And I thought that because people often refer to college cities as bubbles. And I really thought that that's just how like the world was. And then I moved to, um, to, you know, a suburb of Milwaukee. And I was like, wow, like in, you know, the instinct is to be like, oh, you know, people are ignorant to other cultures. But in all honesty, I was ignorant to the fact that so many people live in like monolithic, cultures and societies. So like, I couldn't even say that, you know, these people are ignorant because I truly did not know that that's how a lot, if not most of the world is. It's like you had some of that ignorance too, (laughs) almost. Exactly. I really did. I really did because I didn't. And so I had did not know how to like interact and make friends with people who had been with the same culture and people since they were like in kindergarten. And here I come in and they again want to put you in a box like, oh, so are you on that bus that comes in from Milwaukee every day? No, like my parents, you know, live and pay taxes in this city, you know? (laughs) And so it was, you know, from the teachers to the kids, they just had no idea like how to um, embrace new students. And I also did not know how to understand like who I was in my culture. So it was like a little of both. I didn't have a really good sense of self at the time. So most people in high school probably don't have a sense of self. Right. But when you're in a environment where you're like the only kid that kind of looks like you are one of the only kids that looks like looks like you, I can totally relate to that 
thing of, well, you kind of want to fit in. So you have that struggle of, I should be more of this culture or more of that culture in order to fit in. Did you feel like you had to change who you were? Like, how did you manage? Uh, I honestly, I probably could have tried a little harder to fit in uh, when I was in that second high school. I think the reason that I was kind of fed up with it was because like, even when I was in a school that had um, the, you know, the more of a diversity, um, if you will, I still got even from like other black kids, like, oh, she's an Oreo, or, you know, she talks white, you know, she, yeah, so it was like, it was definitely like a coupling of a different of a few different things. And then combine that with like, already feeling like you kind of are getting um, slighted by your community, and not understanding like what it means to be a black woman in this world. And then you go and you're like shocked, like culture shocked by like now walking into a school full of white people and they have an expectation from you of who you're supposed to be. So it's like, it was definitely like a a layered um, experience. (laughs) Yeah, I would say. What kind of expectations do you think people had of how you should be? Uh, Well, definitely when I moved, uh, like my, gosh, that would have been my, before my junior year uh, or in my junior year, um, when I like just registering for the school, like I had a, one of the counselors was like, um, I had said I was going to like, oh, I'm going to sign up for psychology, which is like a very typical, like, first of all, it wasn't like a clinical psychology class because it was high school. And it was just like a very typical junior you know, level course. And she's like, well, it's really hard. Um, you're going to have to do a lot of memorization. And there's a lot of like words. And it's like difficult. <laughs> like, you know, school's really like if you, you know, do like art classes. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? Like it was, I mean, and at the time I was just like, oh, that's just weird. But looking back on it, I'm like, no, she literally did did not think that I was like capable. Oh, <laughs> so she was yeah. trying to like guide you into an easier right. path that she thought you'd be Absolutely. more successful in. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. That happens so much. And you know what's funny? It happens so much. The the whole thing about you sounding or speaking white <laughs> and that people would say that. I used to get that too growing up. People would ask me that like, "Why do you sound white?" And First of all, I had I had much a much thicker accent, so I don't even know if that was the correct oh, really? thing to say to me. <laughs> but I always thought that was such a weird question. Like right. where where does that come from? Why do people yeah. say that? It's because they just expect they they have a certain expectation of like what, you know, minority youths are supposed to sound like in this country. But what are they supposed um, to sound like? <laughs> Exactly. And then the funny thing, too, is like the opposite of it on the other end of the spectrum is like how many times I got called articulate. And it's like, no, no white kid have you ever called articulate. Even now, people still don't understand. It's like, just because you don't, you don't speak like the Queen's English. (laughs) That doesn't say, you know, if you're worthy of an idea, or if you have like, you know, if your thoughts are that your thoughts aren't valid, you know, like all of that stuff is just a way of us like, again, putting people in boxes and being able to count people out. Hmm. So it's just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just so silly. Well, it's just so silly. So it's a way to measure people, right? Because ever since we've right. been in school, ever since, since elementary school, we've had to measure to a certain standard. And grammar was a big part of that. I mean, that's why we had spelling bees and we had uh, grammar classes and we had to learn new vocabulary every day. I feel like right. that's kind of one of the ways that you get classified as someone who's smart and someone who isn't. And I'm like having like moved around a bit, I've literally gone to one school and been like gotten like, oh, she's so intelligent. And then like 
a month later, you're in a different environment and like people being like, oh, she's not smart enough or her language tools aren't good as far as like, you know, her spelling and her grammar. I think that the grade system could be, this is totally off sidetrack, totally a sidetrack, but I think that the grading (laughs) system really doesn't dictate like, it's not a good measurement of who, of how intelligent someone is or, you know, what they're, how valuable they are to society or their potential, like at all. Yeah, that's a really good point. We could definitely talk about that for hours. I want to continue on to your the rest of your story. So you graduated high school and then you went to college in, was it D.C.? So I actually spent one year at a community college, a state um, school. And then my right before my sophomore year, um, or for my sophomore year of college, I transferred to American University in D.C. Okay. What led you to American University? Why did you pick that? You know, I was just looking at different schools and I was kind of just like, you know, Google searching schools. Like I really didn't know what to, you know, what sort of thing you're supposed to look for in a college. Um, But at the time I thought I went to study broadcast journalism and I was a fan of uh, at public access radio and NPR, national public radio. And so like I was, that's one of the things I would literally listen to in the car by myself when I was driving like back and forth to my community college classes. And so a lot of the national shows at the time, I don't know if they still are, were broadcast out of WAMU, which was um, American University's NPR, national, national public radio. So Um, When I was Googling like good journalism programs and I saw American University pop up, I was like, oh, I hear that school every single day on my, you know, so going to and from school. So I was like, perfect. Um, This, I should, you know, look to see what's going on on this campus. Um, And then also along that time, there was uh, a little senator out of Illinois called Barack Obama, who was kind of making a splash. And I had been following his career. And so like, I thought that also I might somehow join broadcast journalism and my interest in politics. And so it really just seems like a good uh, mix of both. So that's why I ended up applying to AU. Okay. All right. So you, (laughs) you arrived at American University and what was like your biggest change when you, when you started living in DC? Was there something that was strikingly different for you? I mean, like it was totally different than anything that I had, like, you know, living on your own, of course, is, the biggest, I think, difference for a college student is like finally like being able to, you know, really have like that autonomy of time. Yes. So that was like really cool. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, you could like go out till 2 a.m. if you wanted to. <laughs> right. <laughs> and there was and no issues. <laughs> no repercussions. <laughs> right. So like, yeah, it was really great. Um, I got to, I, you know, interned in the Senate and I thought that that was so cool. And so I got to have like a lot of really um, unique experiences. It was, just, yeah, it was just really cool as far as that goes. So you graduate from American University, I'm guessing. And what is the next step in your career? Because you, you did PR. Right for a while, I did. Yeah, so I had done all these internships in school, and my senior year, I was on Twitter, and I saw that a company that I had interned with previously was like looking to fill a position, and so I like tweeted my old boss. I was like, "Hey, if you're still looking, love to throw my hat in the ring." And that's such a millennial thing to do. Yeah, right. (laughs) But I had already had a relationship with them. It wasn't like I was just like randomly contacting. They're like, who is this person? (laughs) And so she was like, hey, you know, if you want to, if you want the position, it's yours. It was like, you know, part time. So I worked there and I worked at, um, 
a black owned restaurant for a summer and then eventually Ooh, what's it called b smith's i know which one that is yeah yeah, she, um, yeah she's uh black female entrepreneur. And so that was just like, I just was hosting. Eventually the part-time PR job turned into a full-time job. And that's how I kind of got into that field as far as my beginning of my career. And fast forward like a few years, it I ended up being in like a place that really, I, I wasn't progressing. Like I had up until that point, I was like really used to you know, marking certain milestones for myself. And I wasn't getting that, like the satisfaction that again, you get with kind of that, like being in school and like getting grades that you're used to that feedback and getting certain scores and like that satisfaction. And so I hadn't, you know, I hadn't set, I guess, like life goals for myself. I had also around that same time was working at a shoe store. And that's also where I got the idea for my company. So it was like a kind of a culmination of things. And I ended up moving to California and working all on my business plan for the company that I I am um, running right now. My parents at that time were living in the Bay Area. So it was also a way for me to save money. The original idea was I was going to work remotely and be able to save money that way and like work on my own um, side projects and then also work on my, my shoe company. So that was kind of like the what the what the goal was. <laughs> um, it didn't exactly progress again the way I thought it was going to because my idea was that like oh I'm going to start the shoe company and I wrote the business plan and then I was like I'm going to find a factory and a few months later I'm going to have a shoe company and it like <laughs> wasn't even close to that. So <laughs> just like magic, um, just like that. <laughs> right. It was just going to like, I'm going to like sketch these shoes and then they're going to send me perfect shoes. And then I'm going to put them online. I'm going to sell them. <laughs> well, what, what happened there that, that awakened your real to your reality? Well, I got shoes in the mail that didn't look anything like what I had ordered. I got shoes that um, like the heels fell off of them in the mail. Like that's how cheap they were. I got shoes that, that were um, not the right color. And like the whole idea behind my brand is that these, you know, are very specific neutrals and nudes. And um, then I would respond and say like, hey, this is not according to my original tech pack. And one of the factories that actually ended up firing me was like, well, you know, black women really like these shades and they really like these patterns and it would be like leopard print. I'm like, okay, that's not at all the idea that I'm going like just totally missing the point of my uh, my brand. Hey, you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. What are you doing with this podcast? Are you sharing it with your friends? Because one of the best ways to let somebody know that you care about them is by sharing thought-inspiring content with them. Like this podcast, where we share stories and experiences that expose us to different perspectives. Here are three easy ways to share the show. You can take a screenshot of this episode and post it on social media, text it directly to anyone in your contact list, or you can also send them the link to our website, diferentepodcast.com. Voila! Super simple. If you like Diferente, the best way to support us is by sharing it, sharing it, and sharing it some more. Now let's get on with the show. Okay, so then let me back up a little bit. Left your job in PR to move to California, correct? Mm-hmm. But before that, you said you were working at a shoe store. What was right. that experience like? It was a national chain of boutiques, and they had started a offshoot of the boutique that was a shoes and accessories um, 
only store. And so I worked at the version of the store that was their largest, their the largest shoes and accessory store that they had. And I think there was only two of them at the time. And it was an attempt at a new concept. And so I think that they're, you know, one of the things that I thought that I saw was the disconnect between like what um, the shoes that we were selling and the woman who was coming in to, you know, look at the shoes. So, you know, one of the issues was that we did not have new shoes. Um, we had corporate come in one day and do a training seminar, you know, told us that we should be offering and suggesting nude heels because this is a, a heel that you can incorporate with any outfit because it's flattering to your skin tone, which yes, ideally that could be the case, but it is not the case for a very large you know, group of women. And so this really doesn't work. And then on top of it, it's like we're, we're in Washington, D.C. or just outside of Washington, D.C., where there are many women of color who are working in offices every day and could benefit from having a great skin flattering heel, but it's not being offered. So for me, that was like the light bulb moment. And I went and started working on the business plan. Where the idea came from. That's where the idea came from. Now, what was the next step creating your your first line? Because it take years, right? Like, well, how many years did it mm-hmm. take for you to go from idea or from concept to actually releasing your first line? It was a long time. I would have started working on the business plan in like 2012. And I did not launch until last summer. Oh my gosh, six years. Yeah. And in between that time, you know, not working on it full time, of course, but in between that time, looking for factories, you know, like talking to people about how what it means to start a company and how do you start a company? What are the first steps that you take? So it was a very, very long journey to market. For me, it was, you know, I, I prototyped in, you know, three different continents <laughs> to try to find the right factory. Um, it took a very long time. Are there any people that kind of mentored you along the way that that helped this process along? Yes, um, I have. I went to college with um, a, my friend who is the founder of Soapbox Soaps. You know, he started his company well before mine, of course. He was one of the first people that I told about the idea. And I was like visiting um, their offices one day. And he says like, well, get out the business plan. Like, tell me what you're thinking of. And so he was just kind of like helping me as far as developing the idea and the strategy behind it from the beginning. And so that was very, very helpful and is uh, a part of my advisory board to this day. And along the way, did you draw inspiration from any other brands that you admired at the time? Yeah, I have always been a huge fan of um, Tamara Mellon. She is a shoe brand. And I find that her, you know, success with Jimmy Choo to be very admirable or admirable, I should say. And her shoes are gorgeous. Okay, so then in 2018, you launched your your first line, which was last summer. How did that go? Where did you launch it? Was it online only? Uh, so the first, the soft launch was at Essence Festival in New Orleans at the convention hall. So it was, I think to this date, it was the largest convention that they had, that they've ever had, at, you know, in the history of Essence. I don't know exact numbers, but it was over 300,000 people over the course of three days. So that was the launch of the site and the first opportunity to for a customer introduction for them to be able to come and feel the shoes and try on the shoes and get a sense for myself and the brand. And how what kind of reception did you get? It was very positive. I was very excited for the launch of for the soft launch. I, you know, looking back on 
back at it, of course, you're you're always critical of yourself and thinking of ways that you could have made it better or had, you know, a better turnout. But overall, you know, I was very happy. Can I ask you something random? Sure. Why did you pick satin to start with and over leather? So when I had went to a shoe trade show and that had basically, it was a components fair that had a lot of all different pieces for, you know, anything to make shoes, but also handbags. And I came across this company that had a specific satin that was um, designed for shoes. And I just, when I saw it, I just really fell in love. I thought it was a beautiful color on the shoe and on the foot. Um, I thought that it was just like very flattering to specifically melanated skin. So that's just you know, that's why I started with that. Oh, okay. All right. I was just curious because I'm always afraid of buying satin shoes because I get them dirty and then I'm afraid they're going to be ruined. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally understand that. I just, I really thought that like, it was almost like a highlighter on the foot, like at the time, you know, you know, very, a contoured beat face was, you know, very in fashion. And so, yeah, I just thought like, I looked at it, I was like, oh, it just looks like a highlighter on the foot. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. <laughs> are you thinking about your next line yet? Or are you still yeah, just I'm, working on this one? I'm, we're, I'm prototyping the next line to again launch um, at the beginning of the summer. Are you going to exper experiment with different materials for the second line? I am. There's going to be a new material for this, this new, um, this new, these new shoes. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, they're gorgeous. They're really, they're really beautiful. They're made in Italy. Why did you pick Italy? Because you said you tried four different, no, three different continents. Yeah, I started in China and just wasn't happy with like the quality that I was getting. Um, and then I sampled in Ethiopia. And then I ended up in Italy because I was able to find a factory that did everything like extremely transparently. I, it's a small like family owned factory. Um, they can do small quantities, which was extreme, which was key for me, you know, at the beginning, I not selling, you know, thousands of shoes. So I needed someone who would be able to place small quantity orders and fulfill them. So I, you know, it was really just about the finding the right um, relationship with the factory. How does that work? So when you're just starting out, did you have to put a significant amount of money into producing uh, several types of the shoes so that you could have them ready to go to ship out? Or do they produce as the orders come in? How does it work? Um, so right now I produce as the orders come in to reduce risk and also to reduce waste. The, you know, the idea behind my shoe is that you have, you know, the woman can pick the color that either best accents her wardrobe or best accents her personal coloring. And then I have the three different models. And then of course, there's all the sizes as well. So from an inventory standpoint, it's a very lot of inventory to hold. So it just made sense for us to just like keep things as um, reduce the risk of waste as possible. I mean, from just like a bigger standpoint, you, the fashion industry contributes quite a bit to um, like our the carbon footprint of the world. <laughs> yes, the second most polluting industry is yeah. the fashion industry after the oil industry. Exactly, which a lot of people don't know. They don't, and so that was something that I found out very early into developing my company. 
I wanted to be sensitive to that. I didn't want to just be a company that came out and was doing things exactly as they had been done. I mean, it was twofold just from a small business standpoint. I always knew that like if I'm going to have, if I'm going to be able to, you know, secure a part of the market, I need to position myself as to where the market is going and not what it's doing right now. And so like I foresee that, you know, a lot of the very quickly produced items are going to eventually fall out of trend and people are going to start to appreciate things that are that they can really incorporate every day into their wardrobe and that they're thinking about the price per wear and not just, you know, how much it costs right this moment. So I'm had to, you know, be a little bit predictive in how I'm positioning myself on the market. And that's what I see for the future of like the accessories industry. So that's why I also decided to do this price point. You know, it wasn't something that I had initially set out to do, but I think it made sense from just like a small business standpoint, you really have to consider what's going to be ahead and not what's happening now. Because if I had just like started from, you know, very beginning, this is where I want to be. I think that makes it easy to fall behind because now you're, you know, a small brand that can't necessarily, you know, fight against a much larger market. You're right. I think the industry is really going towards this whole like made for you acquiring of pieces, you know, like you don't, you're no longer just buying crap available for everyone. There's, there's a sentimental value and there's a specific value that people are putting into buying something unique. It might take a little longer to produce, but in the end, it's going to give you better results and a longer wear, a longer, you know, longer lasting classic piece in your wardrobe, like these shoes. And how long does it take? So like, if I go online and order them now, how long would it take for me to have them? So right now, our average um, time from order to delivery is been four to six weeks. I am, you know, working on getting that down for these the next um, round of shoes that I'm producing. the The lead time is going to be um, it's going to be three to four weeks. So you know, as I'm growing and able to, you know, better my relationship with my factory and really have a better sense of like the supply chain management, I'm able to produce things more quickly. So along the way, what are some of the major roadblocks that you've encountered as you have progressed since launching? Oh, I, I mean, the roadblocks are infinite. <laughs> it feels like <laughs> Just give me a few. <laughs> right. I think like one of them was definitely, you know, like produ- keeping your suppliers to their word. A lot of times it's like a new brand. You're not given the same respect or priority over other, you know, larger companies. So I think that that definitely took time, and I'm still working on it. Uh, the other thing that's very surprising, especially um, in, like in Italy, is that the shoe market is very much dominated by white men. So you know, me, I don't speak Italian, so I go to these, you know, trade fairs and I go to factories, and they're like, "Who are you? What are you? You want to sell shoes to black women? What?" <laughs> <laughs> So it's definitely like, you know, getting people to, you know, trust you and understand the concept of the brand is also a hurdle on its own. I speak a little bit Italian. Can I oh, go yeah? with you? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll, take any, I'll take all the help I can get. <laughs> we'll, we'll translate for food and yep. shelter. <laughs> That's not bad if you're in Italy. <laughs> not no, a bad not deal. at all. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Diferente. I hope you really enjoyed this part one of my conversation with Salone Monet. Tune in next week when we will have the second part of this episode. And if you're listening in the future, just look for episode 136, part two. I'm your host, Maribel Quesada-Smith. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for listening to Diferente. If you liked this episode, let me know by leaving a five-star review and by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Just don't forget to tag me at A Diferente Life so I can know you're listening. Hasta pronto.